Well, you know, you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is no time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. Welcome to episode 235 of Top Rope Nation. I'm Ryan Drosty. I am not joined by Justin Joint or Kyle Ross this week, but don't turn it off. Got a great guest on the line. You may know him from his time as an Emmy Award sports broadcaster down in the state of Florida. Recently, he's been concentrating on the world of pro wrestling. He's been doing some stuff with ad-free shows. Kurt Angle, he's over on the Podcast Heat Network doing the new, brand new podcast with Matt Hardy, the extreme life of Matt Hardy. It's Mr. John Alba. John, welcome to Top Rope Nation. That was a lot, man. That was, uh, <laughs> I, I, when you hear all those things going on, I guess I compartmentalize it so much, right? Like, where I'm like, oh, I just got this and this to do today. And it'll take five, six, seven hours. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was my day. So then when you just listen, I was like, oh, geez, that, that really is a lot. But hey, man, I'm excited that we got to uh, do this. We got to chat a little bit when we were in Chicago together, had a good time, and Bruce Brethren. So it's always good by me, man. Yeah. No, usually those intros, if I have a guest on, I script them. But tonight mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know I know a lot about John. I'll Hell just yeah. go off the top of my head. Three ball it, baby. <laughs> So, I mean, hey, as you mentioned, we kind of bonded over Bruce Springsteen recently. I mean, we've known each other for a little while now. I've been following you on Twitter. I'd say it was probably about a year ago. We started talking a little bit more. Once we found out that we were both kind of hardcore Springsteen fans, there was kind of no turning back at that point. I think that was what we definitely bonded over. Yeah, I don't want to disrupt anything here, but underneath this laptop that I'm broadcasting on, I needed something to like elevate my computer. And I looked around real quick and I got the Bruce Springsteen, all the songs, the story behind every track book, which is like <laughs> this thick. I'm like, perfect. And so right That's now my awesome. computer is sitting on that as we speak. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah. I do have a, I have a poster on my wall. You can't, it's behind those cabinets over there. You can't see it though. It's the, uh, the born to run book, the unseen photos, nice. Eric Miola book. Yeah. It's, up on the wall over there so yeah if you guys follow me on twitter and john on twitter and in your timeline you see us interacting probably it's more bruce centric than wrestling centric 85 most of the time, of the time. 85 <laughs> no doubt about that i listen man bruce to me if, if you really want me to draw like a comparison to wrestling i can do that it, it, you know for me the what is so appealing about pro wrestling is the storytelling element. I, I just love story. It's what I did for a living as a journalist and an anchor and a reporter storytelling. So with Springsteen, to me, there's no better storyteller in music history. Yeah. Screw, screw, screw up Bob Dylan. Like this, this is the Bruce <laughs> hour. Bruce hour yeah. right and yeah. so when I find an artist that is an elite storyteller, like Bruce is, I enamor myself with it because it's so easy to get lost in the imagery and the descriptors. He's the best. Yeah. And I'm well a Jersey said. guy. He's, he's like he, he, Bruce's daddy for all of us. In Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, 
then the next time he tours and i promise everyone we are going to talk pro wrestling but i just got to get this out of the way now getting john on the line the next time bruce tours my goal is to see him in jersey i got a bunch oh, of yeah. miles saved up we'll for make flights. it happen we'll make it yeah. happen you 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 i promise you we'll be able to link up and, and get a show in together because that would be awesome and we're doing the pit okay no yes. none of this nancy business we're doing <laughs> the pit okay sign requests i will request roll of the dice and it's a shame okay Oh, I love it. I love it. I think Better Days is the song I'm chasing oh, yeah. right now. Great one. Great one. Yeah. Uh, last Bruce question for you before we dive into the squared circle here, John. Do you remember? I've never asked you this. Do you remember the moment that you went from like, I like Bruce Springsteen to hardcore? I got to see this guy in concert every single time that I can. Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I always loved Bruce growing up. I, my dad played him all the time. I saw him first time I saw him I was on the Rising tour. I saw him a few times throughout that, but it was a Wrecking Ball tour. I went with my buddy from college. He scored some tickets with his mom, and they were pit tickets. He's like, "Come with." I was like, oh, "I haven't seen Bruce in a long time. Let's go." And I, I actively listened to Bruce, but that was Bruce's birthday show, and the show Ooh. didn't start till ten thirty at night because of thunderstorms. So the show went from ten thirty to like two in the morning. And he played in the midnight hour at midnight as he turned 63. <laughs> yeah. And there was just this moment. I was just like, this is it. This is my 1B. My 1A is ACDC. Bruce is my 1B. So those two together, transformative musical experiences for me. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was when I got into the bootlegs. And it was mm -hmm. the first first time I heard the Winterland Prove It All Night intro. Mm -hmm. That was like the first Unlike bootleg concert else. I ever got. Uh, yeah, I was hooked at that moment. I was like, I got to see this guy live as many times as I can. You know, it's almost like pro wrestling. When pro wrestling comes around, I'm at, I'm at every show. But like, you think of like the ECW diehards, the tape trading, like all this stuff. Like Springsteenism is, there's a very similar parallel to that, especially before the advent of East Street Radio and then making all these recordings available. It was very similar to like wrestling tape yeah. trading. Oh, did you, do, do you have the 81 Nassau Coliseum show? Yeah, okay, let's, let's get on that. So, you know, good <laughs> yep. stuff. Absolutely. So yeah, man, I just I had to geek out over Bruce with you for a little bit because people that listen to this pod, like they know I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Right. I'll drop some references here and there. I know on our New Year's show one year I played it out with Bruce doing all Lang Syne, you know. And oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. you're the guy to talk a little Bruce. So I had to get that out of the way. Any day, but, buddy. Any day. Yeah. As you said, hey, it was great to meet up in Chicago. It was it was brief, but um I went to this strip mall i wasn't expecting to be in a strip mall this bar every wrestling media member in the world was there doing karaoke we enjoyed a beer together it was a good time more of those in the future hopefully my friend i was dying of laryngitis little yes. did i know at the time so it was 24 hours later i found out i was like in danger of losing my voice for good so i'm glad that we can do this again at some other point hopefully i get to see us sooner down the line yeah, I had delayed a delay. It was right after that. Yeah, you. Uh, I think on Twitter you told the whole story. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> it I just was saw horrible, up. horrible. And it was it was loud in there. So I mean, we were streaming. So I'm like, yeah, Ryan. You thing. know, I love uh, the original Land of Hope and Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, Michael Jenkinson checking in the chat. Yeah, he's from uh, Philly area, so oh, right there in Bruce Country. Billy Elvis, two thousand nine, the Wachovia Spectrum. Uh, yeah. All that all shook up. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm a big Elvis fan too, so yeah, I always enjoyed nice. that when Bruce covers him and yeah, very the nice. influence there as well. So 
Guys, if you have never tuned into Top Rope Nation before you get into wrestling, let me just get this out of the way. Get the plugs out of the way. Uh, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. You can check out bluewirepods.com for all of your podcasting needs. We're available wherever podcasts are found. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, topropenation.com. If you leave us a written review on Apple, leave your Twitter or Instagram username. I'll send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail for dropping us a five-star written review. Of course, we're streaming live right now on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitch. And of course, the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. It would help us out so much. It's youtube.com slash Top Rope Nation. And the number one way to support Top Rope Nation is on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. You're going to see the names here going across the bottom of the screen. Thank you to all of you who are supporting us right now, enjoying the weekly bonus shows that we do every single week. And at the end of the month, we're going to be dropping a new edition of Top Rope Nation Classics, which is our monthly deep dive show. We just had one drop on the first WWF Shotgun Saturday night. And at the end of this month, we're going to be looking back. John, this is very timely because you just had a tweet about this on Royal Rumble 92 for Mm. the 30th. For the mm. 30th anniversary, John, I'm going to be asking you about your take on that at the end of the show. We're oh, going to come back to that topic. Yes. I want to pick your brain on that. So before we get to the classic wrestling, um, I wanted to cover, I mentioned at the top, you know, what you've been doing a little bit with the podcast Heat Network and Matt Hardy, what you've been doing with ad-free shows and Kurt Angle. Um, you were, you've been involved in the wrestling media for a while. You know, you were breaking, even as a sports reporter, you were breaking wrestling news here and there on your Twitter page. And you just recently decided to kind of leave that world and concentrate solely on the wrestling world. And so far it looks like it's been a successful move for you. So how did this move happen? Like what, what it went into your decision-making there and, and how are you enjoying things so far? Yeah, so local news is a really difficult industry. It's something that takes a lot out of you mentally, physically, and and burnout happens very easily. I feel it's very important to be cognizant of burnout and to not push yourself beyond the limits because I very much did. And my mental health was suffering as a result. My physical, the ailment that we were talking about, the laryngitis, that was completely a result of unhealthy habits as a result of my local news life. And it just, it was a combination of things. And there was an incident in April that happened with me and my last employer that I kind of said to myself, I need to get out of where I am right now. And I need to figure out what I'm going to do next. My initial thought was, well, my only option here is kind of either go to a network or stay in local news. And I had a look from a network, a major sports network at the beginning of the year. But because of the pandemic, they went on a hiring freeze. So that kind of went that out the wayside. And then I limited, I was like, you know what? I want to get back up to the Northeast, be closer to family. So I'll try to look for stations if they're hiring for a sports reporter in Boston, New York, Philly, DC, something like that. And around WrestleMania week, it was maybe a week after I got a call from Conrad Thompson and I'd known Conrad through the years and he was like, what do you think about coming on and doing a podcast or doing some work for me? And there was some other stuff we talked about. And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, that'd be awesome. Like I've been a something to wrestle listener since like week two. And yeah. I was like, I was like, that'd be awesome. That'd be so cool. But 
I don't know if it'll work out contractually with me with what I got going on. And he's like, okay, no worries. Give me a call back another week, whatever. So we hang up and I'm like, was he asking me to come on like full time? Like, 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 or was that just, did I just not register? Like I got to call this guy back. Right. Yeah. So I call him back and I'm like, were you talking about coming out full time? He's like, yeah, man. I was like, oh, okay. And there right now, James, one of our ad free shows, top guys uh, checking in. So thanks for hanging out here, James. But yeah, man. So I, I, once I saw that become a reality, I was like, okay, is this feasible? This is a huge leap of faith. No pun intended. A, a huge leap of faith that I'm going to take on myself here. Because I told myself if I was going to leave local news, it would be to go work in baseball full time or work in pro wrestling full time. One of those two things, my two passions. And, you know, Conrad has the credibility. He believed in me. And having that endorsement was all that I needed. And I feel like it has been a little bit of an adjustment, a, a major adjustment. Quite frankly, it's a totally different workflow than what I was doing before. But I'm still using the skill set that. I got my high out of from being on air and local news. I'm using it in a much different way in a field that I'm extremely passionate about. And it's been fun so far. But, you know, one thing, Ryan, like you're talking about breaking news, I've had to recuse myself from breaking news now because I'm working hand in hand with talent like Matt Hardy and Kurt Angle and people who have ties to major companies. And I have more podcasts that are going to be announced soon that also have ties to major companies. So it doesn't feel right to break news per se. So now yeah. I'm enjoying the long form interviewing side of things, which is my true passion, much more so than breaking news or anything else. Uh, long form interviewing is my favorite thing to do in the world. So you, yeah, you've been working with Angle close. You've been working with Matt Hardy close. I know the Hardy show has really taken off just, you know, just launching here recently. Uh, what can you tell us about what it's been like working with Matt Hardy on that? The two of them for the record. Childhood dream comes true. Both of them, like Kurt Angle, greatest wrestlers of all time. He's on my Mount Rushmore easily. Matt Hardy was my guy growing up. Everyone loved The Rock. They loved Austin. Matt Hardy was my guy. I can't tell you why. I just thought he was the secret sauce of the Hardy boys. Yeah. And there was just something that drew me to him. Even though Jeff was the flashy one, something about Matt drew me to him. And he followed me on Twitter like maybe a year, year and a half ago. I came up with the idea for the Hardy podcast in my head like three years ago, long before I even was signed with Conrad. And when I got the platform, things kind of came together. I'm like, you know what? I got to, I got to pitch this. I got to pitch this. I bet on myself. I'm like, I DM'd him. I'm like, Matt, if I can have five minutes of your time, that's all I need. I've got this pitch ready. So three weeks later, he calls me and I give him my five minute pitch. And he's like, I'm interested. And, the rest, as they say, is history. It's been incredible. Matt has been the one of the very kindest people I've ever worked with in pro wrestling. And he's so honest and truthful. And I think if you listen to the podcast, you'll feel that same way too. Yeah. Highly recommend everyone that's listening to this right now. Check it out. Thank it's you. really good stuff so far. Um, and then Kurt Angle. I mean, you were just talking about how you recorded with Kurt, talking about his Iron Man match recently and how surreal that was. Tell, tell us about that a little bit. Well, so... I feel like I watch wrestling a little differently than maybe your typical fan does because I work on the indies and I help lay together matches. So I feel like, <clears throat> pardon me, I watch wrestling in a very analytical way where I look deep into a match and I connect one move to another and figure out why did this make sense? Why did they do this here? Why did they do that here? Kurt Angle, to me, 
is, like I just said, Mount Rushmore caliber. So if I can get a peek into his brain and break down this Iron Man match with Samoa Joe, who, by the way, Kurt was concussed with in the ring in that match. <laughs> Kurt was concussed in that Iron Man match. So we're breaking this match down. It was incredible. And getting to work with a lot of the ad-free shows talent is is awesome. Jeff Jarrett's been great. You know, getting to know Eric Bischoff has been awesome. Eric is the coolest freaking guy in the world. So, you know, we have good hair together. That's very important. <laughs> so I, I've been having a blast, man. Really, it's quite literally a dream come true. Best hair in the wrestling media. There you go. <laughs> like 2018 Harry Award winner, which is given out by getgoodhead.com to the best <laughs> hair in local news. Are you sure that's about hair? I'm pretty sure. I, they, they gave me a hair package. Listen, if, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll plant this here. This was great. Okay. This was awesome. That's awesome. But, but this was better. Okay. <laughs> just, wow. Just, that's me and Muppet form. So just, uh, you know, it, it's all about, I mean, I, I learned from Eric, you know, you got to yeah. protect the gimmicks, man. That's amazing. You got to have that stuff at the ready. I love it. Very prepared. I also have a bottle of Jameson at the ready, too, if you would like any. Ooh. Well, I mean, hey, it's it's a tradition on Top Rope Nation where you, we usually have a drink. Um, I already had a beer with dinner tonight, so I, I don't have one right okay. now. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I won't grab one halfway through, but... Uh, well, if you're ready to, you let me know. We'll do... We'll, we'll <laughs> if you want to pour one, I mean, no judgment. No judgment. Well, there's no all. pouring. It's going straight out of the bottle here. So oh, yeah. Well, then you'll fit right in here. I That's love that. <laughs> so I guess it's tomorrow's uh, Matt Hardy pod that's dropping where you were talking about uh, Adam Page and you yes. said there was some great insights into Tony Khan and how he goes about character development. What can you share on that front? Well, yeah, you can get the extreme life of Matt Hardy every Friday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, YouTube wherever and you'll be able to get your ears on this we actually recorded this episode in person together uh before the newark dynamite uh was that last week i think it was the yeah. tbs premiere we recorded that in person together so it's cool seeing matt and i riff off each other together and one of the things that was very important for me ryan was that we get all these nostalgia podcasts there's a million of them right yeah so how can we be different well, my ideology is let's connect the past to the present. Let's see how the past influenced the present. And there's so much of that in Hangman Adam Page's story. And he and Matt go back 10 plus years. So we get all this incredible insight on Hangman Adam Page and their feud that they had in AEW leading up to Revolution a year ago. In the process, we learn about the AEW creative process, which I feel like is something that hasn't been talked about a whole lot in public. Matt is so honest and transparent about it. And we hear what ideas did Tony Khan contribute to this? And the little idiosyncrasies that Tony has with character building and storytelling and protecting certain things. And we're going to do this in this moment for this reason. And we're not going to do this here because of this. He's very forward thinking based off the conversations I'm having with Matt. So I think people are going to really find that very interesting, what this creative look looks like, not to use the same word twice, but what it looks like on the outside and taking a peek inside to the mind of Tony Khan and Matt Hardy and Hangman Page. It's really eye-opening. Yeah. 
Sounds sounds pretty fascinating to get that kind of secondary perspective on what people are seeing from Tony. You know, I've I've listened to Tony give interviews himself, and he's a just a super fascinating guy to listen to talk. You know, he is as hardcore as they come as far as wrestling fandom goes. I mean, the the way that he can call back to old matches His recall you know, from the is 80s, unreal. Is unreal. It's crazy. <laughs> I heard him on um, the Way of the Blade podcast. That was a really good one. Every time he's been on Observer Radio, it's been a really fascinating listen to. So, yeah, for the people that are there around it all the time and to hear Matt talk about that, I mean, that would be a, a really good listen. I'm planning on checking it out for sure. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So on the AEW topic... What what did you think about last night's dynamite? I want to bring this up right now because um, my Twitter timeline was like all over the map. You know, you look at the TBS debut last week, just a stacked show. So, were you at the event, by the way, since you recorded live? No, that was last week. Yeah, in, were you in, in Newark? You're saying what did I think of? Yeah, that? I, I, oh, yeah. The, sorry, the comparing Newark last show? week to this week. Yeah. Oh uh, no! So I actually I had a lot of other projects I had to work on, so we recorded in the morning before oh, dynamite okay. but i did watch dynamite i just wasn't at the event itself yeah Plus, i've been i've been trying to keep it a little covid conscious too i'm moving from orlando up to jersey this uh coming month or this month as we record this and i'm just you know things have just gotten so crazy in the last month and i can't afford to catch covid while i'm doing a cross-country move so yeah i, yeah. I was supposed to go to the royal rumble and do stuff there f- with ad-free shows but just too much to chance right now. And unfortunately some media availability was canceled. So I didn't get a chance to go to the dynamite, but I thought this week there were definitely some really good stuff on it. My one concern that I think sometimes AEW does, they convolute a lot of finishes sometimes. And like, for example, the main event of Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guerrero, I thought it was a really good match. Mm -hmm. Selfishly, I've gotten to know Daniel Garcia's career up close in person, but I thought it was a really good match. And they had Kingston and Jericho there ringside. It felt like either that didn't need to happen or the gaga that happened with the match could have happened after you got a clean finish out of these two. Because I don't Mm -hmm. think either guy would have been hurt by that. Just my take, just my taste. Uh, Some people may feel differently about that. Yeah, so the reason I brought up last week's show is that that was just such a a loaded show. You, know, you had the world title match, you had the tag team title match, you're crowning the first TBS champion. And so, you know, everyone was looking for the ratings, of course, being the TBS debut and everything, and they did very well. But it seemed like this week, you know, it was gonna it was a more normal show, what they would present. Um, not a stat card by any means. In fact, I thought that this week's show basically was like a character development broadcast, you know, like they did have that great main event, but otherwise, you know, it was all about, well, we got Britt Baker and Adam Cole on television, you know, for the first time we got some stuff with, uh, the new era, the undisputed era, you know, facing off with, uh, the young bucks. So you had that confrontation, you had Brody King's debut, uh, the continued build to the breakup between Wardlow and MJF. Uh, Jay Lethal coming out, putting him with Dante Martin. So it was, to me, it was it wasn't so much a solid in ring show as just like developing all of these characters. The return of Lance Archer, of course. And so we were doing a watch along um, last night with with the Top Rope Nation group over on Facebook. And going to that main event, you know, we were I guess live, like kind of disappointed in the show, and we were like, please save this show. And the main event was was excellent and a, a great great match. Um. I don't I don't know like now that I've went back and I've watched some of it a second time I'm not as down on the show because they 
did a lot. I do see the criticism from some fans. They feel like AEW does too much. And I'm not saying I agree with that. But what is what is your take on that? Because you've probably seen this out there in social media. They do too much. Too much is happening on the shows. There's too many factions. Uh, what's your point of view on that? Well, you, you left out the most important character development that was going on the, the show, which was Andrade trying to make a deal with Matt Hardy. Uh, yeah, there you go. Got to get that tie in. Biased in saying that that was the most important <laughs> one, but but I thought that was a cool little wrinkle. I, dude, I mean, Matt doing the deletes versus the Cerro Miedo. I, I enjoyed the shit out of that. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> but listen, I I understand that criticism because I think a lot of wrestling fans watch. AEW to see great banger matches. And for the most part, I feel like they're generally rewarded with that. But it's January 13th right now. It was January 12th on Dynamite. That gives you about a month and a half to start your build towards Revolution. So if they're starting to lay groundwork for what the Revolution card's going to look like, which my hunch says watching it last night that they certainly were starting to do that in certain feuds, mm-hmm. then you're going to have shows like that where there's just a lot of character development. Look how many WWE shows are just character development, character development, or whether the characters are developed successfully is a whole nother story, but yeah, there's, there's, there's character, yeah. okay, character-driven content, we'll say. Yeah. So I think it's just an anomaly in the sense that people expect these awesome high-flying bam, bam, bam matches with AEW. So maybe that's why you saw a lot of that. Plus, it was coming off a week where there was an awesome championship match between Brian Danielson and Hangman Page. So I think in contrast, that's maybe why you saw that vocal news. Yeah. Yeah, they, they couldn't possibly live up to what they did the week before. I mean, that was just top-tier show. They brought you know brought it all out for the main event. Uh, Ratings-wise, you know, it, it did decent, I think, for the type of broadcast that it was. They they basically tied raw in 18 to 49 now raw obviously had some very big competition uh they finished what second or third on cable behind the nba last night uh 18 to 34 they defeated raw in that demographic so i think probably you know during basketball season you're going to see AEW kind of settle into this 900,000 to maybe a little over a million range and then in in the i said this on the broadcast last week on top rope nation in the when basketball season's off so you know, basically june to october i think that's aw's chance to really you know get into that 1.3 area because they're not gonna have that competition uh espn nba broadcast on wednesday nights but yeah, i mean i think overall they did decent i know the viewership with women was down a little bit they didn't have jade cargill i mean she was a huge hit for them last week in the tbs debut so definitely need to see more of her it's very interesting forward. that we didn't see her especially mm-hmm. thinking about the coronation and everything that was done with her winning the TBS title on the battle of the belt. So that is an interesting point. What did you think of the CM Punk Wardlow match? Cause I, you know, people have been all over the board on this one too. Cause Punk basically got destroyed, you know, all of those power bombs. I love, I did love in the finish and we we're doing the watch long. I called it about halfway through because Punk is, you know, such a huge fan of Bret Hart's. You had him and Darby Allen recreating the spot at all out with the Brett one, two, three kid match. And so like on this one last night, as he kept getting power bomb, like, Oh, I bet they're going to do survivor series 95. (laughs) And that's what we got. You know, like the small package cradle roll up out of nowhere. But do you feel like, I mean, I know they're trying to get Wardlow over and it's working. I mean, 
people are ready for that turn. This has been a couple of years in the making now. Do you think Punk was the right guy to do this against with him being undefeated in the promotion to this point? Like, what did you think of him taking losing, 90% of the punishment like that and then just barely to, eking it up? Losing to Punk is fine. You're not yeah. hurt losing to CM Punk, even in the manner that he lost. And it was done in a way where you're advancing a story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, you know that there's a, see, here's the thing. They're given the benefit of the doubt because to AEW's credit, nine times out of 10, they pay off a story effectively. So you're given the benefit of the doubt when you get a screwy finish like that because you know that there's going to be a payoff. And this storyline is painfully obvious where it's going, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because it's building to this moment. And that January 26th AEW Dynamite, the John Alba birthday edition of AEW Dynamite <laughs> for what it's worth. Oh, nice. That is in Cleveland where Wardlow is from. Yeah. This has to be going there, and that's where you do this moment. So two weeks out here makes all the sense in the world to me. I see no issue with it at all, quite frankly. Our own Kyle Ross is from Cleveland. He will be at that show in attendance too. So yeah, I think that has the potential to be a very big show. Very big show, for sure. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, I was fine with it. I like the finish. You know, you can't, the way that they're trying to build up Wardlow right now, I thought it was very effective. Like it was said in the chat, Punk wants to put over these younger guys. Uh, he's not coming in just trying to get shine all the time. He's working with the young guys, which is what I like about this return from him. And uh, yeah, very effective at getting Wardlow over. And I think that when Wardlow does the turn, it's only going to add to that incredible pop that he's going to get when he turns How on MJF. Cool is Wardlow? He's like the coolest cat in the room. It's just his Dude. swagger, his everything. Rock star. He is yeah. a rock star. Absolutely. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though, on the show that I did take issue with, and I don't know, maybe we'll disagree on this, but I'm not sure about Lance Archer as the challenger to Hangman Page. I was talking with Justin and Kyle, sure. my co-hosts, about this today, and Kyle said if he was booking the show, he would have had Archer come out to take on Malachi Black because Malachi Black has, you know, been destroying all these smaller guys. And he thought it'd be very effective if you bring back Archer that way as a baby face and he comes after Malachi Black. And I, I would have been fine with that too. I think my biggest issue here is that it's just hard for me to buy Archer as a contender for the world championship. Um, I think Jonathan Snowden tweeted this last night. It's like July 28th was the last time he won on television. And we know he got injured, but he was basically around through October. So it's been a long time since he's had a win on television. Of course, you got the angle now where uh, Paige is going to be out for retribution. He's going to challenge him. And, you know, that makes sense and everything. But I'm not quite sure about him as as a contender. I don't know that he is going to be the, the challenger at Revolution. Maybe he'll do the match earlier, you know, to give page something to do in the interim what do you think about that yeah i think that's exactly what's happening i don't see him being the match at revolution but he does need something in between these two months that we have until revolution i think the two of them are a great matchup for each other i think that's a perfect opponent for hangman page and it'll force him to do something a little different but i tweeted this as well archer needs some wins so you've established him right now as a potential challenger. The ranking system is what it is. Mm-hmm. You've established him as a potential challenger. Like you said with the story there, Paige has a reason to come after him. But let's heat up Archer with some dominating wins. Give him a couple squashes. Give him some good opponents like 
some real actual opponents that he goes out and beats. Kind of similar to what you did with Miro for a little bit. Heat him up mm-hmm. just enough till it's the point where you have a believable title match and a believable foe, and then you give Hangman the win there. Yeah. Do you think that this roster is getting too big? This was the other discussion last night. They got so many names that they're trying to put out there. Uh, we've talked a lot about on the show if they need to become a little bit more selective with who they're signing, you know, moving forward with people getting cut from WWE. I think we got some names for sure coming in in the next couple of months, some big names. Um, but what do you, do you think the, the roster is too loaded up right now? And do you, do you have any problems with the fact that you can go a couple of weeks without seeing people on their main run television? Or do you think that that's a strength? Well, I do think that we're going to probably see some names come off the books in the next couple of months as mm-hmm. AEW reaches that three-year mark and some of these initial three-year deals come up. Yeah, I think AEW is really against releasing wrestlers and they'd rather just let their contracts expire so with that said a lot of these recently signed names or names that they will sign will probably replace a decent i think that's probably i I don't know this this is me just completely speculating but i imagine that there's a decent amount of names that will come off the books here and you'll see some new faces like you said and i i think that they have a really big roster, but they maybe need to find a little bit more of an effective way to incorporate dark into canon, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, dark exists, the records matter. Every now and then they'll show a clip from dark on television, but otherwise it feels like it's a missable show. And there's some good stuff that happens on dark, but it feels like it's a missable show. So, if you can make Dark more canon with what's going on on Dynamite and what's going on on Rampage, maybe that will feel like a more justifiable way to utilize this big roster. I know what you're really trying to say is you want more gun club, right? Do you know the backstory of how I got into wrestling? I do not. So, Was that a good Bang- segue? Bangor, Maine. <laughs> I'm covering as, as a sports director and ABC Fox affiliate there. Bangor, Maine, and Billy Gunn is doing a one-man Q&A show. And he and I had interacted before online, but I'm, I go to interview him after the show. He goes, you know, you have a very punchable face. <laughs> oh, I wait, said, I, I remember this quote, yeah. And I said, oh, is that so? He goes, yeah, that's that can be your meal ticket. That's not a bad thing. That can be your meal ticket. People want to pay money to see you get your face kicked in. I said, huh. Now, behind me, I know you can't see it because the way the screen's cropped, but that's a who the hell let John Alba back in sign that I took from a fan <laughs> at an indie show. So I think Billy was on to something. That's amazing. No, I, I, I agree on Dark. I think it's been, I think they're just trying to compile footage, you know, to have a bigger library of footage so that they can one day have a streaming service that they can market to a big company and get a payday on that. I think that's a big motivation behind Dark and also just to give people experience. But I agree. It is very missable. The reps are everything. Yeah. It's a shame because there's really good stuff. I thought the Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss feud on Dark was awesome. I thought the two of them did a hell of a job. Mm. Did most AW fans see it? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think that they're overloaded right now. I think it's a strength that you can have. You know, you can go, you keep people fresh. You know, you watch Raw and SmackDown, you see the same thing, it seems like, week after week after week. But, you know, going a couple of weeks without seeing people, if you can do it, 
I think that's fine. I do think that as time goes on, maybe they'll have to get a little bit more selective, but I've never had a problem with you know the so-called too much happens on Dynamite saying because I feel like that's a product of people watching WWE television for so many years with nothing happening. You know, like there's so much of importance that happens on AEW. I think that's a good thing. Uh, and I also don't have a problem with the factions thing. I like that they have a lot yeah. of factions because mm-hmm. like people have friends in real life. <laughs> You're yeah. gonna have friends well, you hang out with. What I was just gonna suggest too, right before you brought that up, is it feels like a trios title is long overdue. Oh yeah, for, for AW. So that would be a great way to utilize more people by bringing a trios title in, showcasing awesome trios matches on Dynamite that people would enjoy watching. I think that'd be a great way to utilize more of your pieces. Yeah, I agree. Uh, real quick, how who do you think is going to be the next AEW world champion? This is probably months down the line, but if you had to predict right now, and hopefully you've thought of something, because they did give you a heads up on this. I know this would be like a really putting you on the spot thing right now, but who do you think might be in line for an AEW world title shot? Or Honestly, victory, John Alba. Not, not shot, victory. It's not putting me on on the spot at all because I, I feel pretty confident in this that Adam Cole's the next AW World Champion. It just seems like a no-brainer to me. He gets the biggest reactions of anyone every single show. It seems like he's the guy to take that title off. And then there's so much layered storytelling that you can do within the Elite and the Undisputed Era or Paragon, whatever they're going to be called, the New Era. And mm-hmm. there's so much layer. There's so many layers to that between. Page, Cole, the Elite, Kenny, the Young Bucks, Fish, O'Reilly. So no-brainer to me that it should be Adam Cole. Yeah. Everybody loves Adam Cole. My three-year-old loves Adam Cole. I gave my three-year-old a Adam Cole figure for Christmas. Just because, like, she barely watches wrestling, but she knows Adam Cole, baby, and just loves yelling it out. I'm saying it. And and so I filmed her opening remind me to send you the video of this off air, but I filmed her opening the present Christmas morning and I'm like, do you know who that is? And she screams out, Adam Cole, baby. It's just That's perfect. Awesome. That's awesome. Right on cue. I like that angle. I agree. I mean, he, he seems like he would be in line too. I've also talked about maybe depending on how long page has the title, you know, I think eventually we're going to get a punk heel turn and I would love a CM punk heel title totally, run. So totally would love that. If if Paige does have the title for you know a year, we could be getting into the point where you could have heel punk, and I could see that happening. Too. I mean, I think you could get a heel punk by the summer. I don't think it's yeah. going to take that long, quite frankly. And he's your guy that you have him feud with either at Double or Nothing or over the summer, and then maybe you do the Adam Cole switch before full uh, before All Out and something in that degree. Hmm. Plus, yeah. you know, Kenny's always coming back at some point, so there's more there too. <laughs> no the kidding. Kenny and I, the Kenny and Hangman Page story is not over. So no, yeah, best long-term story in wrestling right now, man. I mean, just fantastic stuff. Wardlow and MJF is right there though too. I gotta say, I mean, couple of years of build here. So yeah, awesome stuff. All right, so we've been talking about recent pro wrestling, John. Uh, I'm going to take it retro here for a second. I'm going to try to share this on air. Let me see if I can uh, if I can get your tweet up on the screen because this really, really got people talking the other day. Here we go. This is on the 1992 Royal Rumble. I'm going to have to remove this overlay here in a second. All right, hold on. Bear with me, people. 
All right. John said, unpopular take. The story of Ric Flair winning the 1992 Royal Rumble is cool and all, but that Rumble is overrated and the Sid Hogan stuff is convoluted mess. Is a convoluted mess. Sorry. John Elba, defend yourself. Why do you well, hate the 1992 you, Royal you didn't Rumble? include the little Bopsy. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. The Listen, I don't, I don't hate the 92 Rumble. I just think it's very overrated and don't like it. We did this whole show up for debate on adfreeshows.com. Myself and Danny Cage, the owner and head trainer of the Monster Factory, which produced Shameless and Riddle and Damian Priest and all these great guys. You can go check that out, adfreeshows.com. We debated the 92 Rumble versus 2001. I picked 2001. He picked 92 as the greatest Rumble ever. And watching this back and yelling at Danny for an hour about this, I I think this rumble's not very good. <laughs> people people look back on it finally because the story with Ric Flair is a very well told story, and you have Bobby the Brain Heenan being awesome on commentary. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of star power in this match, a lot of big names, but there is so much stuff that makes no sense within this rumble. Macho Man jumping off the top rope, going over the top rope, eliminating himself. And then just coming right back in and nobody caring at all. Made zero <laughs> sense at all. No mention of it. The finish, then, of, of course, that everyone remembers, Sid dumps Hogan completely legally, does nothing wrong. Then Hogan, the heel, Hulk Hogan, by the way, mm-hmm. starts dragging his arm and pulling at him and Flair, Flair, the actual heel, dumps him. And yet somehow, someway, in the storytelling that followed, Hulk Hogan was the babyface. So much so that when the crowd reacted huge for Sid eliminating Hogan, they had to go back in on Coliseum <laughs> Vio and redub it and had Gorilla Monsoon, who initially said that Sid did nothing wrong, had to redub it and be like, Sid was a jerk. This, <laughs> it, it, is, it is the whole Big Brother thing, telling you what your eyes saw is not what actually happened and what your ears heard is not what actually happened. That is more insulting to my intelligence as a wrestling fan than anything else. So that combined with some other minuscules that happened in this match are not great. And I thought that was a really unpopular take, but I had so many people agreeing with me and my mentions, which made me so happy to hear. Sorry. Hate to kill your nostalgia pop, but, and, and you know, and I picked 2001 for that debate and, Going back, there's some silly stuff that happened in 2001, too, and there there are some other great rumbles that I probably would, in hindsight, pick over it. But I just don't think 92 is that great. I agree with those criticisms. I'm not on board the overrated thing. I'll stand up for it here in just a second. But I agree with those criticisms. The Sid Hogan thing never really made sense. But if you look at Hogan's career, too, he was often booked like a heel. I mean, the Macho Man storyline, like... Hogan did have lust in his eyes for Elizabeth. Let's be let's be real here. Hogan, oh, like he's doing eye rakes and matches and stuff. Like there's a lot of times throughout yeah. his career where he comes off as a heel. And yeah, he you're right. They had to overdub it because they booed him. <laughs> they were sick of Hogan by '92. Yeah, you know, I'm watching it on the, on Peacock, and like the crowd is clearly reacting huge to Sid dumping him, yeah. and I'm hearing boos, and I'm like. That's not what's happening right now. This is, and, and the worst part is, too, it cooled off Sid, who was getting hot traction as a babyface, and they turned him just because, well, we got to have someone heel to face 
Roman Reigns. I mean, I'm sorry, Hulk Hogan. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Yeah. James yeah. Hogan. Yeah. It's okay. Here's, here's what it is for me. It's to me, it was unlike any rumble to that point in time. It's, and it's still really unlike any rumble. I will say maybe except for when Brock tossed all the guys in, was that 2020? Uh, and it was in there for so long. The 2020 Rumble is very good. Rumble, to me, that's good, top five. Yeah, good story. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the 2018 Rumble. I thought that was exceptional. That yeah. was the one with the like Cena stare down with Nakamura and all that. I thought that was really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for, for 92 for me, though, it's just such a showcase of Ric Flair. And it was like unlike anything WWF had done mm-hmm. to that point because it was such a promotion you know, based on baby faces. Uh, you look at the first Royal Rumble winners, they were all baby faces. You know, Hogan before this. Uh, you go back to Hacksaw, uh, had Big John Stunt with it, I guess. But here you got Ric Flair coming in, you know, early in his WWF run. And he's been in the rival promotion. And if you look at Vince McMahon's history in booking people, rarely does he put the spotlight on another company's guy like he did Flair that night and just really made him. You know, coming in three going almost bell to bell, being in there for an hour. And a lot of times when you watch rumbles, you know, like the focus isn't on one guy the whole match. Someone might be in there for an hour, but they kind of like disappear into the background. But Flair is like the focus of the match the whole time. And, and I'm not going to complain about the Ric Flair stuff. I think the yeah, Ric Flair yeah. stuff is a well-told story. Could have been better if he was number one, but that's besides the point. It, it, I just think that that, <laughs> is the best part about it. Heenan's yeah. great. The, the tear in my eye promo is awesome. But yep. but then Flair wins, and what's the focus? The focus is Sid and Hogan getting into a pushing match and on the outside and then in the middle of the ring. It took away from Flair's win in the moment. And thankfully, because Ric Flair is Ric frickin' Flair, he cuts this incredible promo after that reminds you, okay, yeah, this guy's great, but it's a convoluted mess, man. Sorry. Yeah, the the tear in my eye promo was, I guess, directed at Jim Hurd and WCW, and he gave that on like almost no notice that night. They're like, "Oh, by the way, you got a promo. Go do it." <laughs> He's like, "All right, here we go." But yeah, Flair is so great, and, and it's just to have a heel win like that for the world title for the first time. You mentioned the star power that makes it really great too. Um, to me, it is the best Royal Rumble of all time. There are criticisms. I think all of them have criticisms. I agree. I always thought the the Sid Hogan stuff didn't make sense. It should have been reversed, I think. Um, but, you know, that that was going to be the WrestleMania match, double main event that they were building towards. You mentioned Randy Savage. God, what did they do to Randy Savage the next year? He goes for a pin, gets thrown out by Yokozuna. What's he going for a pin for? Randy Savage <laughs> didn't know the rules to any of the Royal Rumble matches he was in. It's as simple as that. Um, a couple other things in the match too there's guys that come out in this match who by this point in their run hadn't they were not big deals anymore you know like Kerry Von Erich and he goes right after Flair and you might as well be back in world-class wrestling when that moment Mm -hmm. happens and the crowd gets into it I mean it just shows how great Ric Flair is but like all of a sudden it's Flair and Von Erich the Texas Tornado and it's 92 and it might as well have been you know 1984 again yeah which is very really cool watching that back in hindsight but it is cool it is cool so uh, it's a good debate I wanted to bring it up because I saw you put that out there and and I saw a lot of people agreeing with you we like start screaming at each other in this debate because he's he's trying to do roundabout ways of making that stuff make sense. Because he's such mm-hmm. an apologist for that era of wrestling, and I'm just like, nah, man, 
you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I don't think the I don't I can't defend the Hogan booking at all. It makes no, no sense as a baby none. face. But but to me, it doesn't take away from the match. I mean, I know it's like the finish, and then Flair comes over and tosses him and stuff. But the the whole p- picture of the match to me is just so great. And some of it probably is nostalgia. You know, I was eight years old when it happened too. I'm not going to deny that that plays sure. into it too. Um, now Kyle, my co-host, loves this match. Um, we did a show <laughs> one time where he goes. I can re he can go off of his memory in order all 30 entrants. Wow. And I'm like, I want to make sure you're not cheating. So he turns around on camera and he goes through all 30. He actually missed Hogan's order by one, I believe. Yeah. But otherwise he got all 30 of them. It was insane. That's <laughs> this guy's like I, I have memory good he ones has. for recall, but that's on another level. Yeah. So for Kyle, I know he's called it. He believes it's one of the top 10 matches in the history of the promotion. I mean, he that's, really, really loves it. Really unfortunate. <laughs> if that's a top but, 10 match in the history of the promotion, if any Rumble match is a top 10 match in the history of the promotion, that's a problem. To me, if it's if it's any, it's this one. I mean, it is just, it's unbelievable. It's just, again, the uniqueness of it. If you go back to the time period, putting over a heel who had just come in from another company and giving him that kind of focus for the world title, never been for the world title before. I mean, really, the Rumble didn't have any stakes behind it, you know, before this. I mean, it's just such a the best moment pre ninety two is the is the Hogan Warrior face off at ninety. I mean, that was amazing. That's a star studded Rumble too. Um, but as far as moments go for me, and yes, my childhood too. But as far as company history too, it's man ninety two for me is tough to beat. I do love two thousand and one. Also, John, though, I mean, that's a. That's a pretty solid one. I can we both agree that ninety nine is like among the worst? Yes, ninety nine is just absolute awful, trash. Awful, so and bad. then the fact that the winner had no importance at all and it was completely negated makes it even mm-hmm. worse. So ninety nine, but I love ninety eight. Ninety eight is a lot of fun. Yes, yes. The, the three faces of Foley, the Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart stuff in that Rumble is a lot of fun. I like that one. Yeah, I agree. All right, one more question for you, and then we're going to take it home. Since we're talking about nostalgia here, now you're a little bit younger than I am, so this is probably going to be a different era for you, but we'll see. Um, years ago on this podcast, we used to do what we called the deep dive of the week. And every at the end of the podcast every week, we'd bring up you know like an old wrestling match. A lot of times they were very rare ones and not ones that got talked about a lot. Other times it'd be our wrestling comfort food, you know, like a match that we would go back to if we just want to put on an old match, something that we would watch numerous times it really hits you in the feels you know what i'm saying so john for you what is your like favorite deep dive in regards to if you're gonna watch something that's old or maybe from your childhood what's your wrestling comfort food from my childhood the 98 rumble is one of them the 98 rumble is definitely one i i've seen that rumble more than i've seen any other it's Definitely up there is among my favorite. I've seen Rock Hogan a million times because I think from a storytelling perspective and just feeding energy from crowd and improv, that's an elite level match. Uh, mm-hmm. Just unparalleled in that sense. My favorite match of all time is Okada Omega 2 at Dominion, the the second match, the 60-minute draw. So yeah. when... Hangman and Danielson did the 60-minute draw, and they did an allusion to that match. I was, like, losing my mind. I'm like, this is awesome. And there were a lot of people who didn't like that. So (laughs) it's different. So I I kind of check off a few different boxes across the years. But 
You know, it's one match I love that's good comfort food. And Kurt and I actually talked about it on the podcast this past week briefly. Um, 2001 Backlash, ultimate submission between Kurt and Benoit. It's a little hard for me to watch Benoit matches, but because mm-hmm. of how great Kurt is, it's just such an art. And they do the first ever Iron Man submission match. It was so different and cool. And I look back at that fondly. People remember that pay-per-view for when Shane jumped off the Titantron. But yeah. I think of Ultimate Submission when I think about that show. That's amazing. So for me, it's pretty much any Bret Hart match. I sure. mean, he was my favorite wrestler growing up. I'll, I'll throw on Mania 13, of course. But TLC2 is another one, too, by the way. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up. Sorry to cut you yeah. off. Yeah. yeah yeah brett i mean for me it's like brett owen wrestlemania 10 awesome um anything from the heart foundation run in 97 that, that kind of, of mid 90s match is better between brett and owen than than the wrestlemania match i think that's the best cage match like blue bars cage match certainly and probably cage match proper like not including hell in a cell in the history mm-hmm. of the promotion and that in fact i have the program from it oh nice right here on my wall let me just hold this up check this out Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is one of my favorite matches of all time, too. I I do like Mania 10 a little bit better, but to me, they're both five-star I'm going to tell you something. The ending of Mania 10 with the camera shot of Owen staring as all the baby faces parade around Brett is, like, iconic as far as I'm concerned. Great storytelling. Starting at Survivor Series, through the Rumble, they get back together, they split the Mania match, and then feud all through that year, and then Owen ends up costing him the title. Just perfection. And then just him beating Brett, thinking that everything is so great, and then he still doesn't get the moment that Brett gets. It's perfect. You should ask Kurt. um, So I actually interviewed Kurt maybe two or three years ago, and I asked him about this, but one of the matches for me that's out there, and it wouldn't be great because it was so early in his career, but one of the matches I want to see so bad, and I hope it was taped and it might be in the archive somewhere, is the fact that Kurt wrestled Owen Hart like a week before Owen's death, a dark match. And it like blows my mind to think of Kurt Angle wrestling Owen Hart. You should ask him what he remembers about that match because I, I would love to see. It. I know it was a brief match, but still. Well, sometimes we do ask Kurt anything episodes so people can submit those at the angle pod. And I don't always host the Kurt podcast, but I love when I get to, it's so much fun. So mm-hmm. yeah, if, if there's ever an ask Kurt anything episode, if anyone wants to know the answer to that, definitely submit that because that's a great question. Yeah. Too bad. We never got Kurt and Bret Hart. Now that would have been, Oh man, dude, <laughs> Bret Hart, Brian Danielson. Yep. Punk. Bret Hart. Okada. Can you imagine? Mm. <laughs> man stop it William Goldberg that's all I'm going to say <laughs> <laughs> alright John hey man this was a lot of fun I really appreciate you coming on the show um, go ahead and plug what you got coming in the next couple of weeks well thanks for having me man you can follow me on Twitter at John Alba on Instagram John underscore Alba the biggest plug I have check out the extreme life of Matt Hardy it's the definition of a passion project for me and Seeing the response so far has been so overwhelming. I'm so proud of this show. Episode one was so incredible. Getting Jeff to come on and talk about the No Mercy ladder match from 1999. What tops that? Well, we're going to try to top it. We got Hangman Page this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Royal Rumble 2000, the inaugural tag team tables match at, at Madison Square Garden. 
It's going to be a really cool show. So check out The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy every single Friday. I got more podcasts that are coming up that are going to be announced soon on ad-free shows. I have one-on-one with John Alba, which is a long-form interview series I get to do. I just dropped one with Jonah, the former Bronson Reed, that I thought was a really awesome episode where he talked about dressing as Rikishi in Halloween Battle Royal and doing the Too Cool Dance with Scotty Too Hottie, which was so cool. Then um, I also have Up for Debate, which we just talked about here, the Pardon the Interruption style show on ad-free show. So plenty of John Alba content, probably way too much John Alba content to uh, find out there, but you can find it at freeshows.com, Podcast Heat, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, man. This will not be the last time. Yeah, we'll get you on again for sure. This was a lot of fun. And hopefully enjoy a a nice brewski and some some Bruce Springsteen in person. We'll enjoy a legit brewski, okay? I'm very excited for that (laughs) when that happens. Yeah, very cool. Sounds fun. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Help us out. The podcast feeds, like I said at the top of the show, subscribe. Leave us that five-star rating. We will be back next week with another edition of Top Rope Nation. It's going to be a Royal Rumble history theme show. Got another another special guest lined up with Justin and Kyle and myself next week. Look for that on your podcast feeds next Friday morning. So for John Alba, I am Ryan Drosty. Take care. Have a great weekend.